So in Luke chapter 15, there are three epic parables that teach a great gospel truth. And these are parables that you've probably heard before. They're the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the prodigal son or the lost son. And it's a mistake to look at these parables and assume they are just a repetition of each other, like it was um, one way to make the same point three times. Because each one shows us a distinct aspect of God's great work. And so I want to look at those today. And as we read these parables together, it reminded me of kind of like a pyramid that you have to look at all three sides. You have to go all the way around the pyramid to understand the depth of it, to understand the whole story. But once you do that, once you see all of the parables and how they work together, you can understand more of the full picture. So today I want to look at these three parables, and I want to specifically look at them, how they uh, go with our core value of purposeful outreach. And this is a really important value of very first, and I want to make sure that we're aligned with it. And so for the rest of the month, actually, we're going to be looking at various ways that the scripture calls us to purposeful outreach. And in fact, we called this series, we might have the series um, picture up there, we called it RSVP, your response is needed. And not only is your response needed to Christ's invitation, but your willingness to extend that invitation to others. And this series will require a response from you. This series will not be one that you can sit idly by and absorb. It will require a response from you. So I'm just getting you ready. I'm just preparing you. Don't say I didn't tell you so. Because the, this scripture, these things we're going to look at, will require us to respond to them. So I want to start in Luke 15, 3 through 7. Follow along with me on the screen there. It's the parable of the lost sheep. And it says this. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. And I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents and then over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. We just sang that song with these lyrics in it. Those lyrics come right out of this scripture. And Jesus is sharing this parable. He, he is speaking as a shepherd to shepherds. He, he, he's leveling with them. He, he's saying, you know, you know what the work of a shepherd is. You know that there is some stink involved in this line of work. That it is not always the easiest task. You know that you serve these sheep and you tend to them and they still continue to kind of do ridiculous things. You, you, you protect them. You lead them in the morning. You lead them at night. You lead them all day long. You know what it's like to be a shepherd. Jesus is saying this to these shepherds. And then he is, he is posing a question. Suppose one of your 100 sheep get lost. What would you do? How would you handle it? And Jesus, the great shepherd, the chief shepherd, is explaining to these people what he does when a sheep goes astray. He says, I look 
until I find that sheep. I go after that one. I leave the 99 until I find the one. That is my strategy. He doesn't say, um, well, I get my servants and I tell them to go. I have them text me frequent updates on the search committee. I make sure that, 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 that I know that the progress of the status. He says the strategy is that the shepherd himself personally goes and seeks out the lost sheep. This is not the best business model. It wastes a lot of time and resources on one missing sheep. It is probably not the most productive way to find a sheep. But it's as if, as soon as he hears a sheep is missing, that his heart is just all wrapped up in that one lost sheep. And that one thought seems to possess his entire being. One of my sheep is lost, and so immediately the search begins with urgency by the person whose heart is so wrapped up in that sheep. And at that point, no hill is too difficult to climb. No mountain is too high, no valley is too low, no, no precipice is too rocky, no distance is too far. The shepherd must find the sheep. About a year ago, um, I was in Wegmans on a Sunday afternoon, and if you've ever been in Wegmans on a Sunday afternoon, it is busy there, mostly with all of you. Um, and I was using the restroom with my four-year-old, and she finished up in, before me, and she left the bathroom alone without me seeing her. Now, if you've ever had this experience, you know the panic that comes over you. I, I ran out of the bathroom, calling her name as loud as I possibly could. I, I was literally screaming at the top of my lungs to find her. In fact, I can't even remember all the things I was saying. <laughs> I was so panicked. I, I was praying in my prayer language, which is not a language people know, at the top of my lungs. I mean, they're probably about to call the police because I was acting just insane. And, and I was running around enlisting everyone I could to help me. Uh, I, perfect strangers, I was saying, can you please guard the door? Just guard the door. Because all I could think of was the worst that the worst possible thing can happen. And so, and so I am, am running around organizing strangers in this grocery store for this little girl with a pink Hello Kitty dress on. Not, no one should leave. <laughs> the world must stop. Who cares about aisle seven? I just need to find my child. And nothing else mattered in that moment. Not if others questioned my sanity. No one else's agenda was important to me. My child was missing. What could possibly mo be more important than that? And it only took about five minutes before a kind Wegmans worker found her um, next to the bagels. I blame my husband for that. <laughs> and thankfully we were reunited and everything was okay. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, the rest of the day, I, I held her on my lap. I mean, she would say, mommy, can I go play? No, you're sitting right here. <laughs> I held her so close to me. And, and, and subsequently, there are some major rules about leaving the bathroom with your mom, without your mom in the Shiver house. I mean, serious rules from now on. Because that moment was so horrifying to me. But that is the type of all-absorbing search, I believe, that Christ is trying to explain here. That that wandering sheep 
might not even be concerned about the shepherd. That sheep may not be giving any thought to the shepherd. They might be just staring into the bagel thing. But the only thing the shepherd is thinking about is that one lost sheep. He loves that sheep. He cannot bear the thought of it being lost. And so he is on an all-out search to find it. I got to thinking, how does he know where to look? How, how can the shepherd know where to look? Well, John 10, 14 can help us with that. It says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. The good shepherd knows what patch of grass the sheep tends to wander to. The, he, he knows what hill the, the sheep tends to get stuck on. He has an idea of where the sheep may run and hide because the good shepherd knows his sheep. And this parable reminds us that the chief shepherd knows who you are. He knows where you are. He knows what you need. He knows how to protect you. He knows how to bring you home, and he knows how to keep you home. So the second parable in that Luke 15 context is that of a lost coin. So I want to read that to you. You can follow along on the screen, Luke 15, 8 through 10. Suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Okay, the first thing that I noticed about this parable is that a woman loses something, okay? That's just not normal. Um, I saw a picture this week, and this is just very accurate at my house. Can you show this picture? It says, I don't always lose stuff, but when I do, it's because my wife moved it. He is always blaming me for things that he loses because I moved them in the house. Okay, maybe that's just our house, Joel, but <laughs> someone said nope. <laughs> In all seriousness, there are very few interesting things to note about this lost coin, and I want to bring those to your attention. Uh, we know a coin isn't a living thing. Okay, it's not like a sheep. It's an inanimate object altogether without life. It cannot want to be lost or want to be found. It, a coin is perfectly content to stay lost. It has no feelings. It needs nothing. It doesn't need to eat. It doesn't need love. It doesn't need those things. And so it's totally ignorant of its lost condition. We also know that this coin was lost in a dark place. And how do we know that? Because the woman had to light a lamp to find it. You don't have to light a lamp in a room that's light. So perhaps why Jesus used the example of a coin lost in a dark place is because so many people don't even realize they're lost. They don't know that they're living in a lost state. The, the darkness spiritually around them has kept them from understanding that they need Christ. And they're ignorant of their lost condition. So there's no effort to be found. They aren't hoping someone finds them. They're lost, and they don't even know they need to be found. It's interesting. Some theologians say that the lamp being lit is actually a symbol of the work of the Holy Spirit. So the first parable is talking about Jesus, the, the great shepherd, his role in seeking and saving the lost. But this parable is showing the role of the Holy Spirit, 
which illuminates our need for Christ's redemption. It rescues us from spiritual darkness. Basically, the Holy Spirit is the one who pokes at us and says, hey, you're lost. You might not realize it. But you are broken from your creator. You are not in a place where you are connected to the life that you can have. It's interesting, in 2 Corinthians 4, 4 through 6, it talks about this. It says, the God of this age, little g, God, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ to his image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. What it's saying is if we don't have the Holy Spirit and Jesus to show us that we're in darkness, we won't even know. We will live ignorantly in darkness and won't even know. And the only way for spiritual darkness to disappear is for the light of the gospel to overtake it. That's sort of what Ruth was saying in the beginning of service. The light that pierces the darkness is the only way that we know we weren't alive in the first place. So here is something just so precious about this parable is that though the coin was lost, it was not forgotten or disowned. It was not forgotten or disowned. The woman knew she had 10 silver pieces when she counted and realized she only had nine. She was very aware of the lost coin. And I think what this communicates to us is if someone is in spiritual darkness and has long forgotten God, Jesus is reminding us he has never forgotten them. And the woman also, knowing the coin was lost, still claims it as hers. Do you see that? She doesn't say, oh, I lost it. You know, whoever finds it can have it. He says, no, she says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sweep the house till I find this coin because it's valuable to me. And even though she loses the possession, she does not lose the ownership of it. So, so hear me out. Just because the coin was lost doesn't mean it's somebody else's. The coin still belongs to her, and she was not giving up to find it. And I believe that this is how Jesus feels about those who are living far from him in spiritual darkness. That he still created them. He still wants them to engage in a relationship with him. God has not disowned them. God has not forgotten them. All right, let's talk about the third parable listed in Luke 15. This one perhaps could be maybe the most familiar to you, and it's of the lost son or the prodigal son. So if you remember this parable, um, a man had two sons. He splits his wealth between them. The younger son goes out, squanders what he has. He's starving. He ends up living with pigs. He, He is just completely at the bottom of the barrel. And he decides, I'm just gonna go back and say I'm sorry and just see what happens. I'm just going to take a risk. I, I knew my father loved me. I'm just going to go back and say, I'm sorry that I did this. And he was worried what his father would do. He was worried how his father would react. And I want to read to us from Luke 15, 20 through 24, where we pick it up at this moment. He says, but while he, this is the younger son, was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son threw his arms around him and kissed him. 
And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. And then the older brother, who had used his wealth wisely, became bitter and angry, and and he was upset that his younger brother had found favor in his father's eyes. But even in that moment, the father reminded the older brother that the fact that the younger came back was worth celebrating. He was lost, but now he is found. Now, as far as my research in the word of God, this is the only place where God is pictured in a hurry. This is the only place where we see God running toward someone in a hurry. Here the Lord is is portrayed as a father running to his great sinful son. The the takeaway today, the thing I want you to remember that we talked about, the thing I want you to share and, and use this whole week is that when we take one step in God's direction, he runs all the way to us. Just one step in God's direction. And he just comes running all the way to us. When we are still a great way off, God comes to us in mercy. And he closes the gap and he makes the way. Both of these sons showed their need for the father's mercy and grace. One was a rebel who ran from his father who sinned outwardly and and, and sinned for everyone to see. The other was prideful and ungrateful and sinned in his own heart. He had taken on a religious spirit, believing that he had earned what his father had given him. If you remember a few weeks ago, we talked about this, the spirit of, of, um, of wealth, that, that spirit of mammon, is that we believe that we earned what we have. He had that. We see that in this older brother. And they were both in need of the grace of the father. But what I love about the God we see in Luke 15 is that God is more willing to show mercy than we are to even seek mercy. That that he is more willing to forgive sin than we are to commit sin. This parable shows the son coming back fully restored to the father's house, the best robe, the family ring, fully loved and fully forgiven. And so let's look at these three parables. We've got the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. We, we have them all together. Like I talked about, how do they connect? How, what are the things that, that is the common thread between them? What do we do when we see all of these together? Well, first of all, the lost sheep, like we talked about, portrays the saving work of God, the son of Jesus, the shepherd. Jesus is, is pictified there as the shepherd. And the lost coin pictures the saving work of the Holy Spirit. That, that is what that, that is trying to say to us, is that the, the Holy Spirit enlightens us to know we need God. And the third parable shows God the Father, which receives the lost child who returns to him. So the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are fully engaged and fully consumed with the redemption of mankind. And, and we see the Trinity in Luke 15 in its fullness. And what that tells me is that the redemption of mankind must be priority. 
that this must be the very nature and character of who he is to assign all three members of the Trinity to this task. That it takes the Father, it takes the Son, and it takes the Holy Spirit, and they are all committed all the time to the redemption of mankind. We see it in its fullness. We also see a pattern here. When the lost thing is found, what do they do? They celebrate every single time. Lost sheep, lost coin, lost son. They celebrate. They actually call their friends and neighbors and they celebrate. And these parables end with declaring the celebration for one sinner that repents. When one person turns their heart to God, all of heaven turns their attention. There's always joy in heaven. Heaven is a joyful place. But here our Lord tells us that when God saves a sinner, joy swells up in heaven and overflows. And it's as if in heaven there is this outburst of irrepressible gladness in the presence of the angels of God every time a sinner comes home to God. You know, sometimes we're like, woo, good, good job. That's not what's happening in heaven. In heaven, they, they are having this, this moment because you know what? All, everything the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are fully engaged and fully consumed with is now coming into being, is now happening. And so when that happens, there is this huge celebration, this overflowing of joy in heaven. And you know what else is amazing about this? Is in these parables, Jesus depicts God himself rejoicing. Do you see the joy of the shepherd? He, he, he finds the lost sheep, he puts it on his shoulders, and he runs home and tells everybody. The joy of the woman, which represents the Holy Spirit, finds her lost coin, and the joy of the father finds his lost son. What does that tell you about God's character? What does that tell you about God's desire for us? He is joyful when his children turn back to him. He is not waiting at the door with a finger to wave in your face. You shouldn't have been gone so long. I told you so. That is not the picture that Jesus is showing us of who God is. He is saying, oh, I am so glad you are here. I am so glad that you have had this moment where you realize that you need me and I will run all the way to you and I will do everything I can to pursue you. Yeah. I think about this sometimes. God has a universe to run. He has galaxies to uphold. He has atomic particles to manage and governments to rule. Yet his greatest pleasure is when one sinner repents. God cares for people one at a time, one at a time. He doesn't pay more attention to the bigger gatherings or the bigger churches or the bigger conferences. He says one single person every time I am waiting, I am here, please come to me. If you make one step in my direction, I will run all the way to you and I will meet you right where you are. And if you're here this morning and no one has ever told you that, if no one has ever told you that God is pursuing you, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus or you are in spiritual darkness, Christ is chasing after you like that one sheep and that one coin. 
And Christ is waiting for you to take one step in his direction so he can run a million in yours just to forgive you, just to restore your life. And all you have to do is make that decision in your heart to repent of your sin. That's the thing that keeps you far from God and receive God's grace. His cross did the rest of the work. And I want to encourage you that if that's you, don't leave this building today before you talk to somebody about it. If right now your heart is just leaping out of your chest and you're thinking, I don't really understand how this all works, but Jesus, I see you and I want more of you, that is, that is you feeling God pursuing you. And before you leave today, catch a pastor or a volunteer or someone at the welcome desk and, and we'll walk you through some of that processing. We'll help you get to the next step. But all you need to do right now is say, Jesus, I'm sorry for the things I've done to be far from you. I accept and receive what you did for me on the cross and I want to live with you forever. Don't ignore God's pursuit of you one more minute because he's after you. He wants to give you fullness of life so there's a challenge in Luke 15, and I don't want us to miss this, but this challenge is the part that I believe is going to take your response. It's going to take you responding to it. And it's the challenge that is completely wrapped up in our pursuit of becoming more like Jesus. So we saw that the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are all after the redemption of mankind. So, so much so that Jesus left heaven to come to earth, sacrificed everything for us, was, was tortured, shed blood, died on a cross, defeated the enemy, rose from the dead in three days, gave us his living word and full access to his throne, and then charged us with a spiritual mission to go and make disciples. There is no questioning that this is the heart of God, that this is the thing that he wants us to do. But the truth is, the further we get from the moment we encounter Christ, the less and less we share this truth with others. The further we get from that moment, the less and less we share this truth with others. And we can go day in and day out without even thinking of the spiritual mission that Jesus has called us to. And this spiritual indifference must grieve the heart of the Luke 15 God that we serve. The heart of a God who leaves the 99, the heart of a God who chases down the sun. When we just continually, day in and day out, just ignore the spiritual mission that he's given us. You know, after you've served Jesus for a while, you might be really good at spirit-led worship and prayer, and that's really important. You, you might be part of so many small groups and accountability groups and Christian organizations that you have the corner market on redemptive community, and I applaud you for that. But the truth is this, if you are at a place in your spiritual life that you are not sharing the message of Jesus Christ to anyone, you are missing out on the spiritual mission of the heart of God. We cannot be really good at worship and prayer and really good at community and really good at generosity and completely fail in purposeful outreach. We serve a Luke 15 God that is chasing after the 99, that is looking for the coin until he found, finds it. 
And yet we sit back and think, well, we understand and the people in our life understand, so we're good. When is the last time you pursued someone with the love of God? I'm not asking when the last time is that you put up a scripture verse on Facebook or you played Christian music in your car with people that don't know Jesus. Well, I'm hoping they heard it and like thought it was catchy. I'm not asking you when you talked with another Christian about what God is teaching you. I'm not even asking you when the last time is you spent in deep worship and prayer. That's important, but that's not what I'm asking you today. And, and actually, I'm not even asking you. I believe that the Holy Spirit is asking you. So take that, up the ante. <laughs> when is the last time you pursued someone with the love of God the way Luke 15 describes. The way you were pursued. Because here is the shepherd's strategy, and I believe we can follow it. It's doable. The shepherd's strategy was not organize 15 conferences a year that then have 2,000 people and, and, and we tell them all about Jesus. That wasn't the shepherd's strategy. The shepherd's strategy wasn't even gather up a whole bunch of people and, and, and stand at the corner and yell into a megaphone and tell them about Jesus and they'll get it. That wasn't the shepherd's strategy. The shepherd's strategy was care for people one at a time and personally search them out. Pick one. Start with one. And today, I... I, I prayed so hard that this would be so convicting to us as a church family that it would literally just silence the room. That we would have this, this heaviness moment, not that we could beat ourselves up about it, but that we would leave with this fresh new motivation that the heart of God is found in Luke 15, and that will be our heartbeat. That we will pursue people with the love of Christ the way that Christ pursued us. And we will show them, no matter what it takes, the love of Jesus. So today, I want you to pray that God would show you one person, just one person that needs to come into a relationship with him. And if you are racking your brain right now and you're like, I don't even know any non-Christians, just pray that God would bring one in your path. And you pay attention because he loves to answer that prayer because he is a Luke 15, leave the 99 kind of God. He will not leave that prayer unanswered. I guarantee it. And so you pray that God would show you one person that needs to come into relationship with him. And you pray that God would open opportunities for you to talk to them. And then when God opens them, you have to open your mouth, okay? You have to say it. There's been times when I've prayed that, and then God's like, here's a door. And I'm going, not going through that door. <laughs> Send me another one. But you pray that in that moment, God would give you opportunity to show them the love of Christ. And you pray for that person every day. You pray them over the finish line into faith. Pray that you would be ready. Pray that they would experience the Luke 15 heart of God. That once they take one step in his direction, he will come all the way to them. Pray until you can lead them into a relationship with Jesus. Be purposeful in your outreach. 
And can you imagine? Just, I mean, I'm not a math person. I, 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 Silvio does all that for me. But can you imagine if each of us did that here today? Just one person. If 500 more people could know the love of Jesus. And then what if those 500 people understood the heart of God and they told one other person and then those 500 people told one other person? The possibilities are endless. And that's exactly how Jesus designed his message to go forth through the people that love him and understand him. You have got to do your part. Jesus is saying that to us. And we can't stop. We can't stop until all have known. How will they know if they don't hear? And how will they hear if we don't tell them? So here's an opportunity for you. In about a month uh, is Easter, believe it or not, April 1st. One of the best days of the whole year of our Christian faith. And we are planning something with purposeful outreach in mind. And our hope is that you would invite friends, that you would invite family, that you would invite that one person that God is prompting you to pray for. And and, uh, we're going to have free pancakes. We're going to have stuff for youth. We're going to have stuff for kids. We're going to have a photo booth. We're going to do things that, that are help just kind of soften maybe if they've never been to church before and they can come and go this isn't as bad as I thought these are some things that that are fun they're things that can that can sort of assimilate me in and then at at 10 o'clock and then at 11 o'clock we're gonna have a worship service that will celebrate the day that Jesus rose from the dead and the day that Jesus set us free the day that Jesus gave us hope and we printed up some invitations for you they look like this they say this Easter it's time to get your hopes up. And we're actually going to have these at the end of the service today as you walk out. And I want you to take at least one because that one you're going to give to the one person that you're praying for. But if you're feeling ambitious, take a couple more. Some volunteers will be handing them out. There's also a Facebook event so you can begin sharing out the word digitally. And we really believe for those that need hope, that if they come on this day, it will encourage them to get their hopes up. We have some special things planned to make sure that it's just an opportunity for you. But that's not the end all be all. Bringing them to church isn't the end goal. The goal is the Father heart of God to chase after the one until they reach the finish line and understand the presence of God like you do the heart of God, like you understand it. And the truth is, if we are really understanding the heart of God, if we're, if we're really engaged in him, we will not be able to help but, but begin to talk about it because it changed everything about us. It gives us hope in every hard situation. It gives us hope in every opportunity. It's the reckless love of God, the overwhelming reckless love of God that we all just sang about. Don't forget that that is not just for us, but that is for every single lost sheep and lost coin and lost son. In fact, this wasn't the plan, but I'm gonna have the worship team come back up. Would you stand? I wanna pray for us today. And then if you need to scoot out, you totally can. Grab your kids and go home. Take some invitations. But if you have a minute and you wanna stay, I just want to sing this song one more time in light of the teaching of Luke 15. 
And this time, when you come down to worship or you begin to worship today, this time, I want you to think about that one person that God is impressing on you and the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God that that person needs to know about. And I want that to fill you up so high to the tippy top that when you leave here, you will begin to communicate that reckless love of God that he has given us. All right, so pray with me. Father God, I thank you so much that there's no mountain you won't climb up, that there's no shadow that you won't light up, God. I thank you that you pursued us. We all have a story. I thank you for Tom who shared today that you pursued him when he was 19 years old, living in the middle of a situation that he could just see as, as dark, as, as, as no hope in it, God. But you pursued him and now here he is standing to serve you, God. And I pray that that reckless love of God that we can all attest to would be the same thing that we carry within us to share with others. God, right now I ask that you would drop a face and a name into each person in their heart right now. Maybe even more than one. Father, that you would begin to task us with this burden that, that communicates the Father heart of God, the Luke 15 God that chases after the one that goes after the lost coin, Lord God, that is the prodigal son, and that we would stop judging and stop criticizing and God, just overflow with the fact that you have given us reckless love. We've received it, and we want to extend that to others. God, challenge us. We don't want to be the same anymore. We don't want to be the same. We don't want to be really good at a lot of things spiritually, but just ignore this mission. Jesus, we love you, and we thank you. It's in your name I pray, amen. Like I said, if you need to go, go ahead, no problem. But if you want to stay and worship to this song, you can even sneak forward a little bit if you want. And this is the formal dismissal of the service. We'll see you next week. Before I spoke a word, you were singing over me. so, so good to me. Before I took a breath, you breathed your life in me. You have been so, so kind to me. me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99. I couldn't earn it, I don't deserve it, still you give yourself away. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God.